Welcome to Menu Feed, a bi-weekly podcast from Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, Senior Editor covering Menu Food and Drink for both brands. Today my guest is Adina Bayo, founder of Cornbread, a fast casual soul food concept that is in expansion mode. Adina is also an IHOP franchisee and came up with the idea of cornbread after her predominantly black customers ate up her cornbread pancakes and requested she add grits, catfish, and fried chicken to the menu. After introducing some of those items as specials, she realized it was a market for a soul food fast casual and tapped talented cook Alzady Smith as her partner. The two passionate black women entrepreneurs launched Cornbread to serve those favorites and more, and grow the concept into a mainstream chain through franchising. Listen as Adina talks about how she is setting out to change the perception of soul food across the country, the many challenges she faces in obtaining financing and attracting investors as a black woman, and how she will continue her mission to support her teams and give back to the community as she grows. Welcome, Adina. Thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, thanks for having me, Pat. Really means a lot to be here with you this morning. Well, thank you. Well, let's start by you telling me a little bit about the journey that brought you to start Cornbread. You want a short version and long version? I'll give you the short version. It's too early for long stories. <laughs> I think I've always had this love for soul food. I enjoy soul food immensely. I enjoy the feeling I get when I eat a nice, crunchy piece of fried chicken. I like the, you know, how the mac and cheese just kind of like melts in your mouth. I love the yam. I love the ribs. I love the, you know, the the turkey wings. Mm. And I own an IHOP, and when I open my IHOP, my IHOP is in a predominantly Black community. Mm-hmm. And every time they will come in here and they will ask me for those items. Do you guys have some grits, some cheese? Do you guys have some fried catfish? Do you guys mm-hmm. have some this? So I had a chef at the time that wanted to, you know, say, Adina, we keep saying no to these people. She goes... Well, let me just try making some of these things. It started with a customer that wanted some grits. So we made a grits and we sold out of the grits. So we started adding items and items. And I remember I have got a win of that. And they said, oh, no, you can't do that. And by the time they realized what was going on, Soulful was already 20% of our sales. Wow. So we made a compromise that we'll keep some of the items. And I remember one day, it was a Sunday, a customer had came in and she asked for a particular item that we used to sell. And I told her we didn't have it anymore. She was upset. And nevertheless, she chewed me out and I was leaving the table and she wanted these corn cakes. We used to take the AHA corn cake batter mm-hmm. and we used to make cornbread with it. And we'll serve it with all of the soul food dish. And I remember going to my office and I wrote on my board, cornbread. And I say, one day I'm going to open a restaurant. I'm going to call the cornbread. She could come there and she'd get cornbread all day. <laughs> and that's how cornbread happened. And how did you meet up with your partner, Elzady? You know, after I set motion in my mind that I wanted to open a soul food restaurant, I wanted to find an amazing cook, an amazing person, you know, a chef. And 
Zadie at the time, my kids were going to her daycare. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time she cooked some food for the kids and she sent it home. And I we had a mutual friend that, that kept telling me, oh, you should meet her. She's this dynamic person. She cooks really well. So once I taste her food, I said to her, look, listen, I want to open this restaurant and I'm looking for a really amazing chef, a really amazing cook, you know, come in, you know, I'll make this worthwhile. And we started talking and that's how, you know, Zadie got dragged in the cornbread because her amazing, you know, culinary skills and, you know, her love language is food. So she cooked really amazingly. Yeah. Mm. Where was the first location? Maplewood, New Jersey, Maplewood. And usually soul food uh, restaurants are typically small independents, but you and Elsie decided to do a fast casual that can grow into like a multi-concept unit. So what made you decide that? Because I think in this industry, soul food doesn't get the respect it deserves. And it's really annoying to me. You know, we have all kinds of concepts. We have a Mexican concept. We have uh, any kind of concept. You have a piece of concept, you know, and no one have given soul food the respect that it needs. And I look at that as because the thing, there's no market for soul food. And I know that couldn't be furthest from the truth. I think that we are in an industry that reflect our society values, right? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, you know, things that are happening in underserved communities or there are things that are diving into Black culture, it doesn't get that respect. And when I think of soul food, soul food has been demonized in so many horrible ways. When you talk about soul food, people all of a sudden want to talk to you about how unhealthy it is or how, you know, you go to sleep. I could go to Chick-fil-A and I'm not getting anything but fried chicken, right? <laughs> right. But yeah, we glorify as this, you know, concept that is so good for you. No, it's not. It's the same thing. We're all selling the same thing, but soul food gets a bad rap, right? So I wanted to change it. I wanted to make sure our collard green was like the best. We have three ingredient collard green. It's the collard greens, onions, peppers, and the seasoning. And it's an amazing thing. We have... Big Mac and cheese. We have cabbage. We have, you know, those things are wholesome that you cook home every day that you may not have the time to do. And I wanted to make that concept very successful and put it out to the masses and to defunct this, you know, horrible thing that soul food is this bad thing for you, which is not. I think what we've done to soul food is we have taken it and we've making ingredients very intentional. Mm -hmm. We have taken it and we have making the environment very intentional. We have taken and making taste very intentional, right? So it's the intentionality behind the concept that is inspiring to me. And I wanted to take that and not put it in a formal sit down. I wanted to make it casual that you can go there anywhere you look, any time of the day and still fit in. Um, which is what, you know, we've done and we're going to continue to do around the country in major cities. Right. So you go in and you order at the counter and then you could sit there or take it to go. You could take it to go. Mm -hmm. You can order on our self-ordering kiosk or you could order with a cashier. 
uh, we're very technology focused. You know, we have an mm. app, we have all of the third party DSPs were on there. So I wanted to make the concept very mainstream. I wanted to make the concept very open to very open to what's happening in the mainstream of restaurant right now. And mm -hmm. that's why you're saying cornbread is set up the way it is. And as February is Black History Month, what were some of your struggles of finding investors as a Black woman? And how did you succeed at that? It's still a struggle. Mm. It's still on, if you look at the statistics around Black women and getting fun there is non-existent. We are essentially locked out of the financial system in this mm -hmm. country. And it's very hard, damn near impossible for us to skill our businesses because the funding just isn't there. People want to give us $500,000 loan, you know, a million dollars cap. But for me to grow my business into a more, you know, last year we did revenue over, you know, between seven and $10 million. There is nowhere for me to go as a small entrepreneur because essentially the, the, um, the funds that are out there, they say to you, well, you're three store, you're four stores, come back to us. Come back to us when you get to 10 stores. But how am I going to get to 10 store with no resources, with no funding? Even the first round of money that we raised, we raised it through a fund, New Voices Fund, that is a fund geared towards helping small businesses ran by African-American women. But after that first raise, where do I go? I can't go back to the fund. Mm -hmm. I need to find a new fund to help me scale. And all of them are saying to me, come back when you are 10. But what am I supposed to do in the meanwhile? Right. It's like there a catch-22. It's I mean a catch-22. You know, 70% of all loan application submitted by Black women are going to be turned down. 70%. They are going to be turned down by traditional banks. Less than 1% of venture capital money is going to go to a, a firm that is led by an African-American. Everyone talked during the pandemic that they set money aside to help minority businesses. I haven't seen it. I don't know where the money is going. And it's not coming to me. Mm. It's not coming to women that look like me. But you are trying to grow by franchising. Is that correct? And Yes. Do you have franchise agreements signed or you're still putting out um, feelers on that? So right now we have our FDD that is done. We are putting together the marketing plan. We are putting together our vendor list. So when we go, uh, we want to start out slow. Um, but even with that, that's being self-funded. Mm. There is no way we're going to be able to grow this business if we keep you know, tap into, tap it into the things that we need, which is access to capital so we can fund things like being ready for franchise, being ready to let people into the system. Because even if you look at the franchising landscape right now, it's minority and women are not represented at all. 
part of the reason that I wanted to do this is to bring them into the franchise in full mm -hmm. because it's a beautiful way to grow a business. It is a beautiful way to learn from a system that already been established and it's been tested so that it can take some of the risk on growing your business. But it's been a struggle. Yeah. Well, hopefully things will look brighter in 2023. Um, it seems like there is more money available for emerging businesses and minorities. So hopefully you will get some of that because it sounds like you're very successful already. So yeah, and I say to people all the time, you know, I'm serious about my brands. I'm serious about my business. And I'm looking for investors. If there's anyone that would invest into an entrepreneur that's having a great impact in the communities that she's doing business in, I urge you, contact me. We're here. We're tapping into those communities that people are driving through and not investing. You know, 76% of my employees are employees of color. 83% of them are employees that are live in underserved, uninvested communities. Uh, our minimum wage across all of our board is above New York and New Jersey minimum wage. We give free dental, free vision, and free life insurance to our employee. We're doing the work. We just need help. We just need an ability to do more of that work. Tell me how you uh, interact with the community and reach out to the community, because I know that both you and Elzadi are very active in your communities. I think communities are the backbones of any business. And for me, it's an easy way to keep connected to the community is by constantly reinvesting into those people that come and support our concept. So for Thanksgiving, we give our free turkey. For the holidays, we go to the local YMCA and we close it down and we decorate it and we serve the homeless population a nice dinner. You know, we all sort of things that I think about when I was growing up in a community that was disinvested in, that a lot of businesses, all of those things on, on the IHOP side, I close down my IHOP, I do a week of giving and we invite the community in and we serve them pancake, French toast, all of those things for free. We do toys. We, you know, any way that we can get connected in the community, we're doing it and that's year, year around. So, yeah. And tell me, let's go back to the menu a little bit. What, besides the fried chicken, which sounds delicious and the mac and cheese also sounds delicious. Um, are you doing grits on the menu too? So on a, on a cornbread side, we're not doing grits because um, grits tend to be breakfast focused, right. but we're doing um, catfish. We are doing all of that peach cobbler, the catfish is, is flying off the shelf. The turkey wings are flying off the shelf. The barbecue ribs are flying off the shelf. Our cornbread is the talk of the town. <laughs> and we were voted the best fried chicken in Brooklyn. So wow. it's, just, it's just an amazing time for us right now. 
And tell me a little bit about your entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, it's obvious that you have a lot of entrepreneurial spirit. And is that something that you developed along the way? Or was that since you were a little girl, you've always wanted to own your own business? I think since I was a little girl, I've always been around entrepreneurial women. When I was in Africa, my grandmother would always take me in the marketplace. And that is where I learned from these women. These women were the backbones of their families. They came in the market and they sold their products and they formed these amazing friendships and these amazing communities. Every day, every Saturday, they would come together and they would sell their goods. And they would sell their goods and this is how they funded their kids' education. This is how they fed their family. So being around that every day just left me with a spirit of entrepreneurship. It left me with a spirit of never giving up. It left me with a spirit of grit. It left me with a spirit of hard work. I learned that from being around the market women of Africa. And when I came here, it was just a natural progression into doing this. Mm -hmm. And do you try and use uh, minority suppliers too, like vendors and companies that are owned by min minority women, especially? Absolutely. We mm -hmm. try whenever we can to support each other. We, I, I'm especially, I'm very intentional about that. 54% of leadership in Cornbury right now are women. I have three stores and it's ran by three dynamic GMs. Wow. On the vendor side, whenever I can support women-owned businesses, that's what I'm gonna do. So it's, it's the intentionality behind all of these things that, I think it's driving the success of Cornbread. And as we move into 2023, I mean, we're already in February, which is Black History Month, as we mentioned. What are you most looking forward to or planning, you know, both professionally and personally? You talked about franchising, so I, I imagine that's a big push in 2023. Yeah, I think my push right now is advocacy. Advocacy for for minority-owned businesses. I think it was in the book, Where Do We Go From Here? And Dr. King said, in a society that have done something special against the Negroes for hundreds of years, must not do something special for the Negro. I think it's advocacy, it's being vulnerable in sharing my stories of the struggle of how banks are not lending to entrepreneurs such as myself. They find ways to say no. They're not finding a way to say yes to us. And if we're going to honor the history of Blacks in this country, we need to open the financial system to us because we're systematically locked out of the financial system and we need government intervention. We all know banks in America has been leading the charge in discriminatory practices against black and brown communities. And the only way they have stopped is by government intervening. And if we're gonna honor Black History Month, we need to advocate at banks. We need to put pressure on these banks to fund more businesses that are ran by women. Government needs to set aside programs that assist in on, assist in getting access once you reach a certain revenue. Because outside of that, it's gonna be a struggle we're gonna to continue to run these businesses that don't have the ability to scale. 
because we don't have access to capital. And when you don't have access to capital, you can't grow, you can't hire, you cannot do those amazing things that grows your business. And how about personally? It sounds like your personal life is very tied up with your professional life, but do you have any personal goals that you want to achieve in 2023? I think obviously is being more intentional, strengthen in my company, bringing, you know, more resources in how I can service my team, bringing dynamic speakers to speak to the leadership group in my team, pour into my team, make them a better lead, you know, make them better leaders. I think that's a personal goal for my, for me is to make sure that everyone that works for my organization understand that we're here on a mission. We're here to have an impact and we're here to make sure that people that we serve in have to be better. Our employees have to be better. So that's a personal goal of myself this year is to make my team better. Thanks so much, Adina. Your heartfelt story holds special meaning as February is Black History Month. You can download today's podcasts and past episodes of Menu Feed on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us. I'm Pat Kobe. Mm-hmm.